Thank you for joining us again on Round 3 Speak Podcast. That intro music brought to you, as always, by Solomon Black. Find him at chrisblackohio.com. We are back. With uh, with me are the hosts. Uh, we have former intelligence analyst, Mr. Lawson, and activist, blogger, and certified engineer, Patrick Henry. I am your third host, author Scott Barnes. With us also is producer Mercy Warren. She's distracted. Our topic today is the boogeyman, the cause of all future and present problems in America, the talking points of all politicians left and right, and all of them say they will do the best at fighting and resisting this evil monster, and that, of course, is China. The China, as our former president would say. I used to do a better impression of that. Vagina. But before we get into all that, um, earlier this week, uh, on a more serious issue, uh, Biden ordered the military to strike targets in Syria after supposedly Iranian-backed militants struck targets in Iraq. So let's go to our panel right off the bat here and bring them in and discuss this briefly because we like to be up on current events. And let's start with Mr. Patrick Henry. And really basic question right off the bat, should the U.S. have done this? Um, no, the U.S. should not have done it. Um, bombing a country is unconstitutional when the president unilaterally does it. Congress, in according to the Constitution, has the power to declare war, not the president. Congress needs to reclaim that power because so many presidents just bomb countries on their own. Um, in fact, uh, I have an article here. Um, that just came out right before, six hours ago, right before our podcast. Um, Biden faces bipartisan pushback to the airstrikes he ordered. He's actually getting pushback from Democrats and Republicans because what he did was unconstitutional. And um, these these unconstitutional strikes, these acts of aggression, um, they've got to stop. We, we elected the representatives and they're the ones who should decide uh, whether or not we declare war, not um, not just one man, the, the president. All right, yeah, and I tend to agree with that. But also, it seems to me, a lot of do you think this is the right move? First of all, great point, Scott, about the new presidents always wanting to flex their muscles when they come into office. Thank you. I agree with Patrick Henry on the fact that the president shouldn't just unilaterally take the United States into war. So I agree with Patrick Henry on that. I disagree. I think this was actually a good idea to, to retaliate. When you have um, missiles coming at your contractors, at U.S. personnel, at U.S. citizens overseas, now we can argue whether they, they should be there at, in the first place or not. But when you have people shooting rockets at your people, you need to respond in some way. So I think it was an appropriate response. I don't think it's going to lead to any sort of escalation. Um, Biden is trying to, I think, work with the Iranians in the fact that he withdrew or is withdrawing support on the, in the Yemen conflict. So I'm hoping this won't lead to any sort of wider escalation. Mr. Henry, if you'd like to respond. My only follow-up is there's always some kind of reason for, for bombing. There's always some kind of propaganda buildup. And these defense contractors are itching for a full-blown war somewhere. Um, I think that they're getting tired of these strikes here and there. I think my prediction is that we're going to see a ramp-up of war propaganda to get involved in Syria against Assad 
And um, I think that will lead to more unconstitutional strikes against Syria. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people will, will support it because of the um, deluge of propaganda that we're about to uh, that we're about to see in the media. Uh, Mr. Lawson, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna see a huge escalation in Syria. I don't think there's really a single political party that is really supportive of it. You know, I think the, the Republicans are going to be against anything that Biden really does. They'll have them against them from the start. And again, I don't really see this pro-war attitude in the majority of the Democratic Party. There are some Democrats that are hawkish, but I don't foresee that happening. But we'll see how it goes. Well, it, it kind of feels to me like I remember Obama tried to do something like this where he tried. It seemed I can't remember what year it was. I want to say 2014 when the Syrians, they accused uh, the Syrians of gassing their own people. And he saw like the uh, the white hatted, you know, people over there. And um, but I remember he spoke to the, you know, it was on national TV, you know, interrupted the regular broadcast and began speaking about how this is the time we need to intervene in Syria. And nobody went for it. It seemed like Congress shut it down. The American people shut it down. And nothing happened. So I don't know if this is what Biden trying to pick up where Obama left off or um, if it's just, you know, like Lawson said, just a kind of simple response where we don't even know if there is any casualties even yet. I was just watching a press conference today. They don't even know if anybody was killed. So I agree with uh, I never thought I'd say this, but um, uh, Senator Tim Kaine who says offensive military action without congressional approval is not constitutional, absent extraordinary circumstances. And another Democratic rep, Ro Khanna of California, uh, who's tweeted, we ran on ending wars, not escalating conflicts in the Middle East. Our foreign policy needs to be rooted in diplomacy and the rule of law, not retaliatory airstrikes without congressional authorization. And these are both responding to Biden specifically. These aren't, you know, five-year-old tweets. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with Democrats and Republicans on this issue. I, I think, I think Scott, you're right in that there's not enough support. So I would be on the lookout for some type of false flag, something to really get people to rally behind overthrowing Syria's government because yeah, right now, um, there's not enough interest in that. So they need something, something big to get people interested. Right. And actually, I was going to bring Mr. Lawson back in because of something he said that actually I had written down also about Syria. And he, when he asked, like, whether we should have been over there or not, or, you know, the response, because I actually did write down a question here is like at this point, shouldn't we just allow Iraq to Iraq to be able to defend themselves if something like this happens? I know it was targeted at U.S. or contractors, but I mean, at this point in time, can't we just let them deal with it and like, I'm interested in Mr. Lawson's response here. Well, the fact is that, like, we still have a, a military presence in Iraq. I mean, they've been scaling it down. Um, you know, I think Trump said it was going to scale down more than it actually did. But we still have a military presence there. So as long as you have a military presence and people are shooting rockets at you, this is what's going to happen. They're going to have to respond in some way. Um, now, Patrick Kennedy wants congressional approval. I don't think for like a single airstrike like this, you really should need it. We're, gonna, we're just going to disagree on that. But I mean, again, if you have personnel over there, this is what's going to happen. And to Patrick Henry's point, you know, it could lead to escalation if you keep going back and forth and retaliatory strikes. So I think we should get out of Syria. It's a it's a mess, and I would like to see us pull back more forces from Iraq, but it's going to take time.
I mean, there's plenty more to say, but uh, maybe we should get on to our uh, main show topic today. But I'll leave that up to Scott. Agreed. Yeah, that uh, we can we can do a whole episode on this. Especially, I'll just say one final thing is uh, uh, the Russian influence in the area because Syria seems like uh, Russia's little brother over there, and so that's a whole other thing we can get into too. But we will uh, we'll stay on point here. And we'll go to China, and uh, we'll get into that. And kind of the first thing, like I said, like. It seems like we blame China for a lot, and Chinese, China, Chinese aggression, you can say, has started. I mean, since the '90s, perhaps you know, with their expansion, their, you know, the technology that they're developing, the the new, uh, the way they're rebuilding the military and wanting to be more relevant. I think that was um, a big thing just a year or two ago, where China was, we need to be more relevant on the national stage with our military. But before we get into that, just in general. With their China, with the Chinese aggression towards their own people, even you know we see against the the religious crackdown, uh, the Hong Kong protests, perfect example too. So we'll start with uh, Patrick Henry and let him open up on uh, on his opinion of the Chinese aggression. Thank you, Scott. Um, it's important to pay attention to China because there are grave injustices happening over there. I mean, it's it's basically like a Nazi Germany, and people are mainly ignoring it, and corporations and most people in government are too afraid to say anything. Also, the tyranny that's happening in China can happen anywhere if people don't keep tight controls over governmental power. So yeah, they've arrested tons of politicians and activists in Hong Kong for wanting independence. Um, there's also the one-child policy they used to have. I recommend the documentary One Child Nation. Uh, I watched it on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if there's other ways to watch it. There probably are. This was a horribly tyrannical policy and one that Ted Turner, founder of CNN and one of the globalist elites, urged world leaders to adopt on a global scale. Then there's the dystopian nightmare of the social credit score system. From the New York Post, quote, a low social credit score will exclude you from well-paying jobs, make it impossible for you to get a house or a car loan, or even book a hotel room. The government will slow down your internet connection, ban your children from attending private schools, and even post your profile on a public blacklist for all to see. According to Australia's ABC News, the government has produced a deadbeat map via an app on WeChat, which shows a radar-style graphic identifying Every person the government doesn't like in the vicinity of the user. Tapping on a person marked on the map reveals their personal information, including their full name, court case number, and the reason they have been labeled untrustworthy. Identity card numbers and home addresses are also partially shown, ABC reported. There are reports that those whose social credit score falls too low are preemptively arrested and sent to re-education camps. Not because they have committed a crime, but because they are likely to, kind of like the movie Minority Report. Yeah, and actually, great. I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because um, that's exactly uh, exactly right. And we'll get into um, Chinese influence, especially on movies later, which, you know, it's um, that's a really crazy topic when you really delve into that like I have recently. But let's uh, go back to Mr. Lawson first, if you would like to add anything on the opening here before we dive in deeper. Yeah, I mean, the one-child policy has been a complete disaster. I think people, I think even the Chinese government is now recognizing that that was a huge mistake 
because it's going to cause huge inequities in their social programs. Um, what China does not have is the Fourth Amendment. So there's no rights to privacy. And the government, as Patrick Henry just mentioned earlier, has total control on spying on their own citizens. And China is leading the way on spying on their own citizens. And facial uh, software and facial recognition is going to be one of the biggest methods that they're going to use in the future. And as Patrick Henry said, they're, they're monitoring people based on their social score. And they're giving people, they're using like color codes, like, you know, red is a high risk person. Someone is, is yellow, someone's green. And based on your color code, you have different permissions to travel, um, different permissions of access to technology. So as pa I think Patrick Henry brought up a lot of good points that China's surveillance system is really dystopian and scary. And that actually might lead us into our next, um, I guess, subtopic of that is Chinese espionage overall. Because, I mean, there's a lot to uh, unpack with China here. And uh, I did label them as a proverbial boogeyman before. But, I mean, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you, you, you get hyped up to be afraid of something and it's not really justified. In this instance, a lot of these things with China is justified. So we'll go over to uh, Patrick Henry if he wants to lead off with the espionage. Absolutely. Espionage um, espionage from China is a huge problem. It's, um, it's, it's basically one of the few things I like that Trump did was he actually did focus on uh, Chinese espionage. So um, just some examples here. An Ohio Children's Hospital researcher was sentenced in a plot to steal trade secrets and sell them to China. There's an article from Politico titled How Silicon Valley became a den of spies from the article. We tend to think of espionage in the United States as an East Coast phenomenon, shadowy foreign spies working out of embassies in Washington or at missions to the United Nations in New York, dead drops in suburban Virginia woodlands and surreptitious meetings on park benches in Manhattan's grasp. But foreign spies have been showing up uninvited to San Francisco and Silicon Valley for a very long time. According to former U.S. intelligence officials, that's true today more than ever. In fact, they warn, especially because of increasing Russian and Chinese aggressiveness and the local concentration of world-leading science and technology firms, there's a full-on epidemic of espionage on the West Coast right now. And even more worrisome, many of its targets are unprepared to deal with the growing threat. China, for example, is certainly out to steal U.S. technology secrets, noted former intelligence officials, but it also is heavily invested in traditional political intelligence gathering, influence and perception management operations in California. Former intelligence officials told uh, the author of this article that Chinese intelligence once recruited a staff member at a California office of U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. And the sources reported back to China about local politics. Spokesperson for Feinstein said the office doesn't comment on personnel matters or investigations, but noted that no Feinstein staffer, staffer in California has ever had a security clearance. At the Aspen Security Forum last week, FBI Director Chris Wray acknowledged the Chinese, uh, when I say last week, I mean the week before this article was published, acknowledged the threat Chinese spying in particular poses, saying China, from a counterintelligence perspective, represents the broadest, most pervasive, most threatening challenge we face as a society, as a country. And then there's a an article from Axios, a suspected Chinese spy targeted California politicians, including Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell. 
from the New York Post. Top Chinese professor boasts of operatives in top U.S. core inner circle. The article says, a recently recorded lecture showing a Chinese Communist Party expert explaining how Beijing had people at the top of America's core inner circle has found its way onto the Internet in the United States after being censored in China. Um, then there's from NBC New York, an NYPD officer allegedly acted as an agent for the Chinese government. There's also a former 15-year uh, CIA veteran officer was charged with spying for China. That's in the CIA. The FBI director, Christopher Wray, said in July, last July, that half of the Bureau's 5,000 counterintelligence cases are related to China. And uh, finally, a former Cleveland Clinic doctor was accused of sharing research funded by the U.S. with the Chinese government. Those are just a few examples of Chinese espionage. And that almost leads me into the hysteria that we get back into in the 50s, you know, like the Joe McCarthy, the witch, um, the witch hunts there to try to find the communists, the Soviets. But, I mean, at this point, it, speaking from what we know, it really doesn't seem like it's a witch hunt right now. It doesn't seem, I mean, like it seems legitimate. And I actually um, remember this is something different from you have that you had, but it was like, um, this one's more related to like a alien conspiracy, but there was a professor who worked at Ohio state university that may have either been abducted by the Chinese government or was working with them secretly and was working. I know that they had the, uh, um, it's like that study, the, you know, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and they were looking for radio, radio signals in space. And right after Ohio state, their satellite picked up one of the few, very few unknown signals from space that they couldn't identify. He disappeared that, that very week. So, but uh, I think we have a perfect person also on this panel and this our host to bring in to talk about espionage as well, since he was doing work for the intelligence community. Uh, we'll see how much he's able to share on this topic and go to Mr. Lawson now. Well, this isn't anything um, that's not been reported, but just going off what Patrick Henry said, I mean, it's costing the U.S. annually, according to multiple sources, approximately $600 billion a year, and that's from espionage. And at least 75% of that is from China. So of all the losses in the U.S. from economic espionage, China is by far the biggest culprit. And this is what I think you're, you're seeing overall, is that China, and we're going to talk about the military perhaps later on around the podcast, but you know, China's not only going after the U.S. and trying to catch up militarily, what they're really going after is winning in cyber, you know, having technology that can jam satellites, um, being able to jam, you know, U.S. military operation, operations with technology and winning the economic battle through technology. So I think that's really where China is focusing most of their efforts and energy on. And it's not just, you know, going after companies, it's, it could be in the future going after vital U.S. capabilities and also like U.S. infrastructure. And I'm glad you actually brought that up because I do believe this is related. I took down a note here earlier that um, China, the way that they're expanding techno technologically, but also going after the Earth's resources, um, some reports are saying that China now owns 90% of the world's rare earth and mineral resources, and they've been doing that through entirely, I mean, they're sketchy, but they're legal where they're buying and, you know, they're buying up property and land in other countries. And we can get that into, into that a little bit later with uh, Chinese, China's expansion. But you got to also wonder, I'm going to just throw this open to anybody, but how is China able to do this? Not only the broad 
you know, we know the facial recognition that they have and uh, that they're spying on their own people, but what they're doing worldwide too, where they're literally dipping their, their fingers into everything, every corner of this, of, of the planet. And we'll go to Mr. Lawson now. And like, how are they just, I know they have a billion people, but I mean, this is unprecedented the way that they're doing this. Yeah. It's, it's state sponsored. That's, that's how they're doing it. I mean, they're, it's a united mission. It's, it's part of the Chinese government's, you know, operations that they're going to help their own largely state owned companies gain profit from stealing technology and information from other companies across the globe. So, I mean, when you have state state owned controlled companies, it's in their direct interest to steal technology. And that helps, that just helps them their own business and their own economy. Now, yes, we'll go over to Patrick Henry now. Yeah, I think, um, I think that China is a perfect example of the new world order. I think it's exactly what they want for the entire world. I think complete control over their citizens um, and really a technocratic dictatorship. We've already mentioned facial recognition and social credit score system and uh, the Internet censorship that's happening there. Um, I have more that I can say on that as well. Um, I think that the new world order has propped China is helping China is propping them up as um, it, it helping them take over in this instance. I think that we need to be on the lookout for their currency becoming the world reserve currency instead of the dollar. There's people proposing that already. Um, so, and I just want to mention too, on the espionage um, topic, there's also um, president Biden's connection to China. Um, former president Trump tried to enact a policy that would, put pressure on American universities to reveal cooperation with China's Confucius Institute. On January 26th, President Biden quietly nixed that policy. The Institute has been described as an entity advancing Beijing's global propaganda and malign influence campaign on U.S. campuses and K-12 classrooms. The organization is funded by the People's Republic of China and part of the Chinese Communist Party's global influence and propaganda apparatus. Biden also signed an executive order to ban the term China virus from any government documents. Uh, Hunter Biden, Joe's son, received a 2.8 carat diamond from a Chinese energy tycoon. Could this have been a bribe? Hunter Biden also holds stake in a Chinese surveillance company sanctioned for human rights abuses. And this is from the New York Post. In quote, in 2013, then Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden flew aboard Air Force One, or sorry, Air Force Two, to China. Less than two weeks later, Hunter Biden's firm inked a $1 billion private equity deal with a subsidiary of the Chinese government's Bank of China. The deal was later expanded to $1.5 billion. In short, the Chinese government funded a business that it co-owned along with the son of a sitting vice president. And actually, it's interesting when you mention uh, the China's connection to the New World Order, because I still this is one of those things that has stuck with me for so long. But before Obama chose Biden as his vice president, I still remember Obama asking, I believe, Dave Anderson, who was the head of the Bilderberg Group at the time. This would have been 2007, um, who he should pick as his vice president uh, running mate. And um, he, Joe Biden was the one that he suggested. So. Uh, yes, we're going to go over to Mr. Lawson now again. I think those are valid points by Patrick Henry and Scott. 
But I do think it's important to point out that this is not just a one-party issue. I think right now you have Republicans that are trying to pin the connections to China on just the Democrats. And I think it's really it's really both political parties. It's really all of the political elite in this country. I mean, you look at China's ties to energy companies and natural gas and banking and finance, and those definitely connect to high-level people on both sides of the aisle. So I feel like that the it's a left-right um, false narrative right now. Yeah, and I agree with that. And we're going to go back over to Mr. Henry now. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, I'm not trying to frame it as a left versus right issue. Um, the names I've talked about so far, uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein, and Eric Swalwell, all do happen to be Democrats, but that's just, it's just the truth. Um, but I do remember Harry Reid, uh, Harry Reid's son, um, got a big contract from the Chinese government. Um, so Republicans are definitely in on it as well. Um, I certainly um, don't want to skew to one party or the other. I just want to read the facts and um, let it lead where it may. Right. I mean, and, and that's a thing that I've and looking into China, especially recently, just China is just the jackpot of mil, uh, of money. I mean, it, it's politicians, it's Hollywood, it's NBA, it's, you know, it, it's just this, it's a bank of the world right now. And actually, that was going to bring up, I'm sure one of you would know, uh, it, the current, uh, how much we're in debt to China right now. Um, I'm not sure if either one of you has that set in front of you, not currently. I don't have the number, but it is, it's a frightening amount. And they could flood our, our yep. could flood our economy uh, with dollars and, and really drive down the value of the dollar whenever they want exactly yeah i was actually gonna that's what i was leading to too but uh we can go over to mr lawson right now who might have something to add well it looks like it's over a trillion just based on my initial uh use of the google but this is again going back to the part where we're saying that like you know it's not just one part of the u.s political elite or government that has connections to china i mean china is the world's second biggest economy and it's growing and by some estimates it will be the world's largest economy in 15 to 20 years. So we're going to have to, to deal with that. And we're going to have, and we're going to have repercussions like as Scott just mentioned with the NBA and with Hollywood and with tech companies, because the corporations are going to see growth in China and you know, they're not going to have the moral standing to say, Hey, we're not going to deal with China because of these issues. Instead, they're going to chase the dollar and they're going to keep investing in China. Right. And, I agree with that, and I'll have some stats here first in a second. Before, but uh, before I give those, I'll throw it back over to Patrick Henry. I just want to uh, mention too. Uh, we briefly mentioned censorship and the techno technocratic dictatorship that they have over there. Um, the BBC News is censored in China. Um, the Communist Party tightened controls over the internet recently, requiring social media users to obtain. Internet News Information Service licenses, or otherwise be banned from commenting on politics, economics, the military, diplomacy, and other major news. The notices explain that if a user doesn't have a license, they are advised not to compile, publish, comment on, or interpret any information on current affairs. The obvious goal here is to only allow government-approved speech on the internet. Also, according to the Epoch Times, to get on the internet, Residents of China must pass a facial recognition test. Um, and there, 
on top of that, you have Chinese nationals working for Facebook as social media censors and fact checkers, uh, which should scare the hell out of people. And actually, that's a nice segue into our next topic, which is in itself uh, Chinese cen- Chinese censorship and influence on you know things that we see every single day. I mean, NBA, Disney, Hollywood. Um, I came across something today that already Hollywood producers, directors, they're self-censoring themselves for movies in China before China, like Chinese officials, even have like, even look at it. And that's because like the rise in money currently in China, especially when it comes to movie, the big block, big blockbuster movies are making more money there in China than they are in the U.S. So, I mean, we can just see how we're pandering to them so much. And Mr. Lawson. Yeah, I think a classic example would be, um, I think it was Dr. Strange. Was it Dr. Strange with the Tibetan monk that they changed? Yes. Um, yes. From being a Tibetan monk to a white woman. Yes, and that's that a good was, example. That was purely to avoid, you know, wrath from from the Chinese. So I, I think again, this ties into we mentioned the NBA in Hollywood, which is because it's so state controlled, the government has the ability to shut down the entire market from these companies. So as China's economy grows, again, it's the second largest economy in the world now and growing, it's just going to continue to have more influence over these entities, because in the U.S., I mean, everything here is fractured, right? So you'll have, you know, let's say, let's just take example, like um, football players kneeling for the national anthem, right? That's going to offend some people in the U.S. and turn some people off from viewing the NFL. Who knows the effect of that long term? But other people in the U.S. aren't going to care so much about that. They're going to keep watching. Well, that's not the, the, um, that's not the Chinese government's way of doing things. It's basically an all or nothing with China. So when you have, an entire market that can basically be turned on and turned off. I mean, it's an immense amount of power. And yes, and we're seeing that more and more. We'll uh, go over to Patrick Henry for his comments. Yeah, I think there has to be some – with, with a republic, with a limited government, there has to be morality too. And the corporations need to have some type of moral backbone here. It's like doing business with Nazi Germany. I mean, it's just at some point, it's 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 not right. Um, but I remember the NBA was kicking fans out for wearing free Hong Kong shirts, which is why I own a free Hong Kong shirt, so that I can go to an NBA game. <laughs> Even the New York right. Times published an op-ed called The World's Wokest Sports League Bows to China. Google pulled a game out, a game called Revolution of Our Times from their app store because it was related to Hong Kong. So I completely agree with what Scott was saying, um, that, that, that these corporations are, are censoring themselves. They're censoring American users of their platform in favor of the Chinese government. Uh, you, you can't say free Hong Kong at an NBA game without getting kicked out. Um, it's crazy. Right. And I was, I was going to dive into NBA here in a second. I just wanted to say one other thing when it came to Hollywood and the censorship there. And actually, because the Dr. Strange example was a very good example, but a lot of people, I was reading an article, connected that the start when China knew they can start getting away with censorship in, in Hollywood was with uh, the Pirates Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the third one at World's End, where they actually censored Chow Yun-Fat, who was one of the Chinese pirates in the movie. He was a big part of that movie. He wasn't you know, one of the 
main characters, but he was in it for a good portion. They actually cut his role down. They edited him out of the movie um, when he brought up things that weren't that weren't you know China didn't like. And he was down. I think he was in. It's supposed to be in the movie for over forty minutes, but they cut him down to under twelve minutes. And that movie didn't do well in China. It only made about twelve or seventy-two million dollars somewhere around there. But because they did that. They promoted the fourth and fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which ended up both of those movies making as much, if not more, than they did in the U.S., which just goes to show that China, like the, just the money and how the producers are and how they will sell out their morals to do this. And we can go over to Mr. Lawson again. Just to get back to the NBA real quick, and I do enjoy watching NBA basketball, so I'll admit that, but it's 800 million viewers in China, watch the NBA. And the economic cost of those viewers turning off their TVs and being shut down by the state government is, you know, 500 or so plus billion dollars. So obviously that's going to have a huge impact on the, a huge impact on the NBA. And again, this is just because these corporations, you know, the goal of a corporation is not to be a moral character. You know, corporations are not people, Supreme Court, I'm sorry, but they are focused on securing infinite profits. So if you're a U.S. corporation, how are you going to grow? You're going to go to the second biggest economy in the world. You're not going to have morals or any moral, you know, moral standing against money because the shareholders aren't going to care about that. So I don't really see it's, it's going to be a bigger, bigger problem because I don't I don't see a, enough people in the U.S. having Patrick Henry's and mine same feeling that we should start boycotting some of these Chinese products and goods. Right. And yeah, that's, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Henry. No, I just, I just wanted to say, I do think that there's moral, moral business owners out there. I think that these giant ones, these giant corporations are part of the new world order. Um, they, they want China to succeed. They want to have control. They want control over the citizens of America, just as China has over the Chinese citizens. Um, so you know, it's it's almost you know, I'll sure I'll be the conspiracy guy. It's it's a conspiracy um, between giant corporations and government of China and big banks um, because you can get total complete control over your citizens where they can't even get online without facial recognition and they can't speak out against anything or else they'll have a bad social credit score and they can't you know uh, get a plane ticket or, or travel. Right, and and another thing with. Uh, especially with the censorship when it goes in and one of the big ironies is the NBA where Daryl Murray, the owner of the Houston Rockets at the time wanted to show his support for the Hong Kong protesters and China severed ties with the Houston Rockets, which scared the shit out of the NBA, I think, and even caused LeBron James in one of the biggest hypocritical moves to criticize Murray, even though James is supposed to be, that social justice leader. I mean, he's wearing the shirts and speaking his mind and saying everything when it comes to our own government. But when it comes to the bottom line for his own pockets and his own wallet in China, all of a sudden, even LeBron James is uh, nowhere to be seen. Yep. he's He said that general manager was misinformed and said that he needs to get better informed on China. Well, LeBron, I think you need to get better informed on China because there's a lot of social justice issues happening there which we'll get into um just because it affects your wallet doesn't mean um that you have to be quiet about it yeah and understand actually and this is something i thought was a joke just as a as a off 
uh, comment here too. I remember when Yao Ming played, um, and he talked about retiring. I think he made a comment like he'll like where he says something along the lines of "I'll I'll retire if the government allows me to," which thought about like was a joke, but it sounded like if they told him he would have had to keep playing, he actually might have had to you know keep playing. But uh, we'll start to move on here. But we'll go to Mr. Lawson if you have anything else to add. No, I think that just goes to the point of, of the fact that the money is going to be far more important to these people and businesses than the values than the yeah than their values and moral standing and they will sacrifice those values and moral standing for for money which it's been happening since the dawn of time yeah and i mean that's going to lead us into something which is again more of a serious issue which is not really getting the coverage that it should and we're going to start with mr lawson again on this one and how uh religious persecution is um, handled in China. And actually, I just wanted to say one more note, too, because this actually has to go side, uh, hand in hand with uh, their Hollywood, uh, with Hollywood and their crackdown on religion, where China, one of the rules they have on censoring movies is uh, their religious policing, where China blocks movies that undermine religious policy in their country. And if it's an advocation for cults or superstitions, which is extremely like hypocritical in my opinion, where, so if they're calling certain religions, um, you know, superstitions or cults, and that's how they're able to force it down. They even like at some points calling them terrorist organizations so they can crack down on them. And in a country where you don't have many rights to begin with, they even be further alienated with your rights is one of the huge social injustices that is not being brought to light coming out of that country. And we'll start off with one particular group, which um, I'm not trying to be funny here. I, I don't want to say it on the air because I probably would call them the wrong thing, but we'll go to Mr. Lawson here on that. Well, I think what Scott is referring to is the Uyghurs, which is, I think, one of the most depressing topics we'll probably talk about on, on this podcast. I mean, yes, it is. I, I'll just give some background on it. It's There's about 12 million Uyghurs, and they are a predominantly Muslim group of people. Um, they live in Northwestern China. I can't pronounce the exact name of the region. If someone can, please go ahead, but I don't want to butcher that. Um, they have their own language, and they kind of are more ethnically and culturally tied to you know Central Asia, you know the, the different stands, than they are to you know the Han Chinese. And you know the leader of China, uh, Xi, has been saying that one of his goals. This was in 2017, was to make every region. Uh, predominantly Han Chinese in China. And right now they make up about half of this region's population. So what the Chinese are, are basically doing is they're committing genocide against these roughly 12 million people. And they're trying to destroy their culture so that the region is predominantly Han Chinese. And this has been going on since the 90s. It definitely increased more after the 9-11 um, attacks. And they used the U.S. and the West focusing more on Islamic terrorism as an excuse to crack down on these people. And what they're doing is they're putting millions of people, at least one million people, in camps. And sorry, okay. Um, they're putting at least one million people in camps, and they're sterilizing women. And they're trying to completely just eliminate this culture, which is basically the definition of genocide. And the Dutch parliament actually, as of yesterday, 
said what they were doing was genocide. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and I believe um, the first I ever heard of this was, I, I believe, last season or last year on John Oliver last week tonight is the first time I heard about this. And um, I believe also that they were used, almost being used as slave labor um, in different camps to make uh, masks for COVID. Um, for a little bit more clarification and insight, we can go over to Patrick Henry now. Yeah, Lawson is exactly right. Um, and I appreciate the, the background that it gave there. Um, there's also the Utsul Muslims of Hainan Island. They're also being oppressed. Um, there's a New York Times article, China's crackdown on Muslims extends to a resort island. Um, and of course, they're, they're also um, suppressing Christianity, um, literally burning crosses from unapproved churches. But they do have state-sanctioned state churches that are allowed to exist. So on the horrible Uyghur situation, um, from the BBC article titled Uyghur Camp Detainees Allege Systemic, Systematic Rape, according to independent estimates, more than a million men and women have been detained in the sprawling network of camps, which China says exists for the re-education of Uyghurs and other minorities. Human rights groups say the Chinese government has gradually stripped away the religious and other freedoms of the Uyghurs culminating in an oppressive system of mass surveillance, detention, indoctrination, and even forced sterilization. The policy flows from Chinese President Xi Jinping, who visited Xinjiang in 2014, that's where the Uyghurs are, in the wake of a terror attack by Uyghur separatists. Of course, it always starts with a uh, terror attack. Um, I consider that could be a possible false flag, but I'll leave that to people to decide for themselves because... None of us really know. Shortly after, according to documents leaked to the New York Times, he directed local officials to respond with absolutely no mercy. The U.S. government said last month that China's actions since amounted to a genocide. China says reports of mass detention and forced sterilization are lies and absurd allegations. Women in Chinese re-education camps for Uyghurs have been systematically raped, sexually abused, and tortured, according to detailed new accounts obtained by the BBC. To Cerne Zaiwudan, who fled Xinjiang after her release, is now in the U.S., said women, she's now in the U.S., and said women were removed from the cells every night and raped by one or more masked Chinese men. She said she was tortured and later gang-raped on three occasions, each time by two or three men. Later on, the article says, a woman who slept near Zewadan in the cell, who said she was detained for giving birth to too many children, disappeared for three days, and when she returned, her body was covered in this, with the same marks that Zewadan noticed. She couldn't say it. She wrapped her arms around my neck and continued to sleep, but she had nothing. Also from the same article about the camps, President Xi looms large over the camps. His image and slogans um, adorn, the, adorn the walls. He is a focus of the program of re-education. Xi is the overall architect of the policy against the Uyghurs, says Charles Parton, a former British diplomat in China, and now senior associate fellow at the Royal Institute, were promoted, making them no longer baby-making machines. That's what the tweet says. They are more confident and independent. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, 
throw it over to Lawson or Scott, but uh, I, I do have more to say on the topic. Yeah, we, we oh, I'm sorry. We, I was going to say we can continue with that too and, and dive a little bit deeper. But I mean, I was just going to say really quick, I mean, this is almost something right out of Ray Bradbury. I mean, this is, you know, with his books and his, you know, how do you control, you know, you have the thought police even. And it seems like it is reaching, it has reached that state in China. You can say, you can't say we're getting there. It, it is there. And uh, we'll go back over to Mr. Lawson now. Yeah, and Patrick Henry, I've heard the same thing that he has, and it's it's one of the worst situations in the world today. I mean, I've, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. I actually went twice in a matter of two months because both my wife and my mother wanted to go see it. Um, that was a miserable experience in itself. But, you know, in the Holocaust, there was six million deaths. And this is this is 12 million people that are being basically treated in a similar way, similar way. I mean, they're not straight up murdering them in mass executions right now, but it's almost like a slow version of the Holocaust where they're just trying to sterilize and eliminate their culture. So they're just going to gradually just grind these people down and grind this culture out and turn the, that region into a Han Chinese dominated region. And, you know, there's been some good reports, um, by vice about this they've sent people into those regions and you know they sent you know any sort of journalist or any person that tries to go in there they're followed everywhere they're not allowed to film anything even like tourist sites are not really allowed to film so i mean it's just one of the worst tragedies and you know at the end of the holocaust museum you know the big theme is like never again you know and this is back in the 1940s and what's happening is it's just happening again it's happening right now and you know some people are speaking out about it but there's not enough happening. And you look at, I mean, Hong Kong, which, you know, we've mentioned earlier, you know, and the terrible things, the way that China, China cracked down there, that at least got, like, global media attention. And it kind of dominated the news for a little bit. This has just kind of been simmering in the background for, I mean, really 20 years. And nothing has really happened. And we're going to go to Mr. Patrick Henry in a second, but yeah, but one of the, one of the things I also wanted to say, really, I'm sorry, really quickly was just, I wonder if it is some, maybe since nine 11, this kind of way, a lot of people have been brainwashed into just not caring about Muslims in general, about treating them as just like automatically as terrorists or, you know, as villains in, uh, you know, the public eye. And, and, and that seems like it's reached a national scale. And so having said that, Mr. Patrick Henry. Yeah, both, uh, both great points. Um, completely agree with Lawson saying about this is this is right up there with the Holocaust. And just because they're not dead, they're living a horrible existence. Um, they're probably wishing they were dead. Uh, they're spied on all the time. They're they're being raped, as I showed. Um, here's how the Associated Press described China's approach to the Uyghurs last summer: the state regularly subjects minority women to pregnancy checks enforces intrauterine devices, sterilization, and even abortion on hundreds of thousands, interviews and data show. Even while the use of IUDs, the intrauterine devices, and sterilization has fallen nationwide, it is rising sharply in Xinjiang. The population control measures are backed by mass detention, both as a threat and as a punishment for failure to comply. Having too many children is a major reason people are sent to detention camps, the Associated Press found, with the parents of three or more children ripped away from their families unless they can pay huge fines. 
Police raid homes, terrifying parents as they search for hidden children. And then there's the forced labor. According to The Guardian, more than half a million people from ethnic minority groups in Xinjiang have been coerced into picking cotton on a scale far greater than previously thought, new research has suggested. It's amazing, but the New York Times published an article called In a Topsy-Turvy Pandemic World, China Offers Its Version of Freedom, saying the West may find it has to work harder to sell its vision of freedom after China has made its model seem so attractive. Does any of that seem attractive? I don't know why the New York Times would publish such a disgusting article. No, and, and I agree with that, too. And, and I just want to say really br- briefly before you continue, is that if something even on a scale 1% of that happened in America, I mean, that would be the biggest outcry, you know, national emergency in history. I mean, we saw how it was reacted with, uh, you know, Mexican immigrants at the border and how that escalated. I mean, this is like sad to say, and it's horrible to say, that's on a scale even worse than what they went through. And again, I, I would almost think that the average American would know about that. So, uh, Mr. Henry, I'm sorry. Or, yes, Henry. I'll just, yeah. Uh, um, uh, um, I was going to say, and then there, then there is Disney, which actually filmed the Mulan movie in Xinjiang. Right. It also expresses thanks to the publicity department of CPC Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomy Region Committee, which is the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda department in Xinjiang. You can read about that in a Guardian article called Disney Remake of Mulan Criticized for Filming in Xinjiang. Also, in, in fighting coronavirus, China was tyrannical. From the Associated Press, the government in China's far northwest Xinjiang region is resorting to draconian measures to combat the coronavirus, including physically locking residents in homes, imposing quarantines of more than 40 days, and arresting those who do not comply. Furthermore, in what experts call a breach of medical ethics, some residents are being coerced into swallowing traditional Chinese medicine. According to government notices, social media posts and interviews with three people in quarantine in Xinjiang. There is a lack of rigorous clinical data showing traditional Chinese medicine works against the virus. That's, to me, that's beside the point, but uh, you can't force someone to do that. And one of the herbal, herbal remedies used in Xinjiang includes ingredients banned in Germany, Switzerland, the U.S., and other countries for a high level of toxins and carcinogens. And then the last thing I'll say is uh, Bill Gates said China did a lot of things right in fighting the virus, while America was too obsessed over personal freedoms. And that's easy for a billionaire to say who knows he's never going to be subjugated to anything like that. Um, we have a couple more topics we're going to wrap up with really quick, but... Yeah, we're going to go to Mr. Lawson again really quick. Are you still there with us, Mr. Lawson? Yeah, I mean, the more this is a topic that I encourage people to look into themselves. And the more you learn about it, just the more dark and, you know, frightening this really is. And this has been going on, like I mentioned, I mean, really since after 2001. Um, and both presidents of both political parties have completely dropped the ball on this. Um, obviously, I don't remember Bush saying anything about it. He may have. But obviously, didn't do much. Obama certainly uh, did not make much of a strong stance against it at all. And then Trump, I mean, he mentioned it a few times. And then as he kind of walked out the door, he had Pompeo say it was a genocide. Uh, so, I mean, it's really been something that 
all the, the administrations have dropped the ball on. And, you know, there should also be outrage, quite frankly, from the Muslim world. I'm not seeing Muslim countries uh, really making strong statements against this. It's almost like they're also choosing to ignore it. Like, I don't see the UAE, uh, you know, abandoning trade deals with China over this. I mean, they're just kind of letting it happen in the background, too. So I think it's one of the biggest tragedies in the world today, honestly. And I do agree with that. And um, I wish we could get into the topic further. We're getting pressed for time here. Um, that's something I hope that any listeners out there, you have some questions about and you want to hear more about this, you know, uh, definitely look it up on your own, but also, you know, come back with questions for us so that we can look it up and get some more details too, because I mean, this is one of those modern day disasters and it is a disaster that unfortunately is not getting reported. Um, but we uh, continue into other ways that China is um, using their aggression and their expansion in ways that we may not see or know about. And one of them, actually, that it, it's been a topic that's mainly just a conspiracy theory that it's instantly um, rejected. I mean, just you know, thrown out without even looking into it or hearing about it. And that's weather manipulation and whether or not China is you know, doing that on, and what scale they're doing it to. And I think we can go to Mr. Patrick Henry here for some insight on that. Yeah, people always scoff when they hear anything about weather control, weather manipulation. They think it's a, you know, totally out there conspiracy theory, uh, but it's not. This is from the Business Insider. The article's called China is massively expanding its weather modification program, saying it will be able to cover half the country in artificial rain and snow by 2025. Here's what it says. China is massively expanding its weather control project and is aiming to be able to cover half the country in artificial rain and snow by 2025, the government said Tuesday. The practice of cloud seeding was discovered in the U.S. in 1946 by a chemist work working for General Electric. China launched its own similar program in the 1960s. Dozens of other countries, including the U.S., also have such programs. But Beijing has the world's largest, employing around 35,000 people, the Guardian reported. In a statement, China's state council said the, that the country's cloud seeding project will expand fivefold to cover an area of 2.1 million square miles and be completed by 2025. The project will be at a worldwide advanced level by 2035, the state council said, and will help alleviate disasters such as drought and hail. Um, generating artificial rain and snow is fairly simple in principle. Spraying chemicals like silver iodide or liquid nitrogen into clouds can make water droplets condense and fall as rain or snow. China launched a localized cloud seeding project in Beijing shortly before the 2008 Olympics, which it said successfully forced anticipated rains to fall before the event started. In June 2016, China allocated $30 million to its cloud seeding project and started firing bullets filled with salt and minerals into the sky. A year later, China spent $168 million on a huge supply of equipment to facilitate the project, including four planes and 897 rocket launchers, the Guardian said. Um, as Business Insider previously reported, China's Ministry of Finance wanted to use cloud seeding to create at least 60 billion cubic meters of additional rain every year by 2020. And in January 2019, state media reported that Cloud seeding tactics in the western region of Xinjiang, there's that place again, had prevented crops from 
seventy percent of hail damage. So I mean, do we trust this this government to have control over the weather? I mean, I, I do remember, I think years before I even heard about this, I do remember you saw pictures come out of China sometimes where, like, the, the cloud shapes were just so unnatural. You saw, like, mushroom clouds in the sky, and they were all happening in China. And they're, I mean, again, uh, I can go into uh, the Hollywood aspect of that, of, you know, where, you know, they have, like, the movie Geostorm, where, you know, you have mother manipulation. And I think we're getting to a point where science fiction is becoming nonfiction is becoming reality and we're reaching a point where the impossible really is becoming possible it's already it's already become reality i mean it's it's straight up minority report um gattaca whatever sci-fi futuristic movie um it's here okay and we're gonna start wrapping it up here i just had a couple other numbers on china that i wanted to get out and i think these should be concerning as i mentioned earlier about how China's um, claiming 90% of the world's uh, rare earth and mineral resources, but you know how they're affecting other countries on a global scale. In 2018, Sri Lanka, you know the small island off the coast of India, was unable to repay chi- a debt to China, and China seized, in some reports, or Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry for that. They they gave away that a major port to China for them to own and use. Um, since 20, uh, since an article Don't in the New York Times. Don't go China. That's the moral of that story. What was that? I'm sorry. Don't go into jet China. That's the no, moral of that story. No, and unfortunately, your... yeah, unfortunately, a lot of countries aren't learning this because in, uh, no, since in a New York Times article from November 8th, 2020, um, China has spent $62 billion in the Caribbean and Venezuela to influence their trade and infrastructure. And these are also some countries that recognize Taiwan as an independent country, and China's getting, trying to get them more independent on themselves. Uh, China tried to buy parts of Greenland, I'm sorry, Iceland in 2011, and that was blocked. But in other ways, they signed, they found ways around it and signed uh, treaties in 2012 and 2015 um, to be able to get Iceland's uh, minerals and natural resources, and they account for now about 6% of their GDP. They have satellite stations in Sweden and invested heavily in Finland and Canada for their natural resources. And something I'll say, not even getting into their military expansion, which should be very concerning in, in the Pacific, since 2014, China has laid claim to almost all of the South China Sea, creating rifts with South Korea, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Japan. And these are all countries that are now trying to look to the U.S. for more support and in for- and and you know obviously um, we do have a large fleet in Taiwan that deters China there, but uh, it's something that is could escalate within the next decade, especially since some experts believe that China will invade Taiwan within the next five years, which could create untold problems. If you know, um, but again, these are all things I hope uh, we can get happening into. in Africa. I don't want to interrupt, but just, the the same things happening in Africa, and we've barely even mentioned them. Correct. So, yeah. Like we said before the show, we could probably do a follow-up about um, what China's doing in Africa and putting those countries in debt to them. And China is, especially what they're doing to in Africa, but also, I'll just briefly say with the next 30 seconds here, is China is expanding aggressively militarily. They want to be able to compete uh, with the U.S. soon. And, you know, see, they've aggressively, they have two new state-of-the-art aircraft carriers, um, you know, and... and, and it's going to be interesting to see as China keeps expanding and growing 
what our response will be, and we'll go to Mr. Henry one last time. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just want to say one last thing. I mean, you know, we just talked about their weather control abilities, and you're bringing up their military militarization and their warfare abilities. Now, um, let's say they have a dispute with the Philippines over the South China Sea. Who's to say China can't send a typhoon or, you know, rain that just persists for a month and floods them out as a method of warfare? And will the Philippines even know that China did it? Right. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like a modern version of warfare. If they have a dispute with a country, um, they can uh, control their weather. Right. And there was even some, I believe it was either Russia or China was accused, actually, of the tsunami that hit Japan. A number of years ago that that was actually accused of being uh, a manipulation by either uh, i think it was a russian official who said if you believe that ty- that tsunami was natural you're crazy that was a man-made that was a demonstration of our power that that russian official said if you want even the smallest coral island from us then a hundred million of you will die um right. and he was referencing the earthquake which caused the tsunami um in japan so i think that it is possible that that was a modern warfare tactic about the South China Sea. Okay. All right, and we're going to start wrapping this up here. I see, like, uh, Mr. Lawson, do you have anything else you'd like to add for the episode? No, I think this would be good topics that we should do a follow-up episode, I think, on China. I think there's a lot to say. I mean, like you said, we barely mentioned the South China Sea. There's more in Hong Kong. Um, there's just a lot. Of, it's just, obviously, it's going to be a huge factor going forward as, again, it's rising and becoming more powerful. Okay. Agreed 100%. And I hope that uh, you guys give us that, that chance. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, rd3productions at yahoo.com. Find us there. We would really much enjoy answering your questions and continuing this topic. Because remember, this episode is not over yet. We need you to continue it, and we will be more than happy to keep going. But until then, again, thank you all for joining, joining us again for another episode. Uh, we will get back to you soon, and I believe... Is there a Lawson scoop of the week that we can give? We'll finish with one positive thing about China, and that is the invention of green tea. And it's been, it was traced back to China, and it was um, prior to 2000 BC, and it was an emperor that mistakenly drank the water that had a dead tea leaf boiled into it. And he thought it tasted great, and that's kind of how it got started. And it really, though, didn't become uh, widely available until the 1300s. And then my second fun fact is there's 3 billion fortune cookies made every year. And the fortune cookie uh, is not really, like, in China too much. It's mostly focused in the United States, and it's primarily made in the United States. But the fact there's 3 billion made every year just seems like a very high number to me. And, uh, yes, I also did see Iron Man 3 and uh, the fact that was in that movie. So thank you for reiterating that. (laughs) movie fact for us so again thank you so much for listening out there we will have another episode and a new topic um in the following weeks and we look forward to getting that out to you until then thank you again to mr lawson and mr patrick henry and our wonderful producer mercy and as we send it out every episode solomon back black play us out
dying of thirst, trying to find an oasis. Finally paying for all the time that I've wasted. I said life was a race, but I was driving mistakes. See, the truth will shine a light on all your lies if you face it. And so that's why you might hate me. Uh-huh. And a party won't play me. Uh-huh. If I tried to be basic, I would finally be famous. I could be crowned for a favor. Uh-huh. I could be tried in the paper. I could have all the kingdoms of the world. I'm bound on the saying. Uh-huh. Matthew 4 9, if you doubt what I'm saying. Matthew 6 6, keep it down while I'm praying. Revelation 1 9, I'm on an island. Come and save me, promise.